new characters. We're, we're introducing new characters in the final season of America. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> that got dark immediately. Hello, fellow law nerds. Welcome to another episode of Boom Lawyered, a Rewire news group podcast hosted by the legal journalism team that has a perfect credit score and is going to buy a house within three miles from where Jess lives. <laughs> Hallelujah! <laughs> I'm Rewire news group senior editor of Law and Policy, Imani Gandhi. And I'm Jess Piclo, Rewire news group's executive editor. Rewire News Group is the one and only home for expert repro journalism that inspires you to show your work when you put your opinion out there. And the Boom Lawyered podcast is part of that mission. So a big thanks to our subscribers and a welcome to our new listeners. So y'all, look, if you have not had a chance yet to go to the site, please, please do, because I want to draw your attention to this absolutely stunning essay we published by Rachel Wells. It's all about her abortion after miscarriage and birth and just, you know, given the conversations that we've had and paired with Caroline Riley's piece on how the reproductive rights movement needs to do a better job in just embracing sex positivity. Mm -hmm. Like this is this beautiful, robust offering of the ways in which we can just do better talking about the ways that abortion is part of this whole complete cycle of our sexual selves, Amani. And really, it was one of those moments as an executive editor where I was like, we didn't totally plan for that to come together. Mm -hmm. But wow, when those pieces sing in harmony like that, that was just it was it was gorgeous. So it if you gorgeous. haven't had a chance, please check it out. It is lovely. And as our own Caroline Riley would say, abortion is for sluts, too. It is. Right? It is. They abortion just, is for it, everyone. It was it was really just two two great, great pieces. And also, oh my gosh, yeah. I'm a little excited about this. I mean, yes, I've been obsessing about some of the content, but we are coming up on the six-month anniversary of SB8 taking effect. Like, first of all. First of all, what? How? How, <laughs> How do we just do that at the same time? Our brains are in sync. It's weird. <laughs> Absolutely in sync. So wild. But yeah, so this is like not a great anniversary, but one that we do absolutely need to mark. And as a result of it, we've got some really special content planned starting this week. Andrea Grimes has a piece up for it. Hold on to your butts. I wrote a piece. Woo! Like truly, I did. It's amazing. Amani, you are taking a whack at this anniversary. Yep. Yep. Our social platforms are going to be popping. Like booties. Booty popping. <laughs> It's great. It's great. So if we have to sort of mark this really dark moment in our constitutional crisis, then we're going to do it with some pretty kick-ass content. So yeah, we're going to do it with some jazz hands and some spirit fingers because yeah. times may be tough, but that doesn't mean we have to lose our positivity. And that doesn't mean that we don't do jazz hands. Come no. on, do them right now. If you're not doing them in your car, I swear to God, I'm going to come over there. But right. actually, only one jazz hand. Yeah, one on the wheel. One, one on the wheel, <laughs> one hand of spirit fingers. It's like the new 10 and 2. One jazz hand, <laughs> one at 2. All right. Oh, and can we just give some love to A, Elizabeth West, A, Dame Writes A Lot on Twitter? Yes. Thank you for just consistently... Given the shine to Imani and I and putting us up in the socials, right? On Twitter this week, 
Given a plug to the podcast, listen to Hegemami, an angry black lady on this episode of Boom Lawyered from Rewire News Group to understand why abortion is just the tip of the iceberg. They're coming for all your rights, folks. Dame writes a lot. Thank you. Thank you're right. you. They are coming for all your rights, folks. So, Jess. Yeah? It looks like it's happening. Your house? Well, that's happening. I'm so excited about that. But even more excited about the fact that we are going to get a black woman on the Supreme Court. This is huge. This is monumental. As a professional black woman myself, like I'm a black woman by trade, by birth. By trade. I'm very excited about this. I've trained in, I've trained in blackness. No, I'm very, very, very excited about this. And right now, there are three names being floated. Kentanji Brown-Jackson, J. Michelle Childs, and Leandra Kruger. All of them are eminently qualified. Yes, right? let's like, just get I, that out of the way. I want right? to get that out of the way. I don't want to hear any talk about, oh, what are their qualifications? And oh, I mean, if they're black, then it might not, maybe they're too, maybe they're going to talk about race too much in their jurisprudence. No, they're all qualified. You never hear anyone complain about white men talking about white shit in their jurisprudence. And they talk nope. about white shit all the time in their jurisprudence, right? So Jackson is 51 years old, and she currently sits on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, which is generally known to be like a pipeline directly to SCOTUS, right? Yep. Leander Kruger, 45 years old. She's currently Associate Justice for the California Supreme Court, mm-hmm. is known there to be sort of a uniter, right? Yeah. Like she's known to sort of unite liberals and conservatives. That could be good for particularly this Supreme Court. And then there's J. Michelle Childs, who is 56 years old. She's a bit different than your average candidate coming out of state school. She went to University of South Carolina. But she's also seen as a bit more centrist and moderate than the other two candidates. Um, She currently sits on the District Court of South Carolina. And progressives are a little bit iffy about her. I must admit that I'm a little bit iffy about her. But that doesn't mean she's not qualified. They're all qualified. Wait, hold up, hold up. Okay, so I mean, this is like the greatest news ever. I love being able to talk about this wealth of black women that we have to potentially elevate to the Supreme Court. What are you talking about that someone's concerning? Is it? It's it's J. Michelle Childs. So you mentioned South Carolina. Yeah, yeah. You know know where this is going. (laughs) And you mentioned centrist. No. No, yeah. Amadi, no, I'm not, yeah. no. We're you not, we, you have to say it. It's, no, we're not doing this. We're not actually <laughs> going to do this. I refuse. Yeah, I mean. We're, you're not going to make me talk about Lindsey Graham in a podcast about black women, are you? Listen, as a, as a friend of mine once said, Lindsey Graham's voice sounds like a whites only drinking fountain. <laughs> <laughs> and I believe that to be true. When I listen to him speak, I feel like I'm in Jim Crow. So needless to say that if Lindsey Graham is very excited about anybody, but particularly this black woman, that concerns me. That that really concerns me because I know she's she's got some anti-worker uh-huh. uh, sentiment, right? She worked at a she worked at a law firm where they backed corporations against workers. She's ruled in cases where she backs corporations against workers, where she backs prisons over incarcerated people who are claiming cruel and unusual punishment and with regard to the treatment in these in these prisons so she's centrist and she's backed by Lindsey Graham and I feel like that's enough to make me concerned about her but again qualified and it's and and I think it would be wonderful to get someone from a state school right and and to get away from this Ivy League business but I don't know what do you think 
just just hear me out and and this is I I mean this in in total good faith here, okay? Of course. So, I mean, look, I anti-worker, she she worked at a law firm, right? Yeah. This is a tough climate for President Biden. It's a tough climate for black women in the law, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's I mean, you know, we have talked about the various career pathways that, you know, black women have to take if they want to rise through the ranks. So, you know, I guess I'm feeling a little bit of sympathy here and and there's a razor thin margin in the Senate and I mean, you you said he's he's still nominating a highly qualified black woman so why would this nomination be a problem Imani because there's something like deeper at play here right so we're gonna have to go we're gonna have to go back to the halcyon days of the early 90s Ooh, getting excited the 90s were a good decade for Imani Gandhi let me tell you (laughs) they were But so Joe Biden has a legacy of sort of throwing black women under the bus when it comes to Supreme Court nominations. Everybody's heard of Anita Hill, right? Yeah. Everybody knows what Anita Hill went through during the confirmation hearings. And if you don't know, I'm going to tell you right now that Joe Biden was head of the Senate Judiciary Committee when all of this went down. And so... The fact that he now has an opportunity to nominate a black woman to the bench means that it it might be his only chance to right some of these 30-year-old wrongs. Mm. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how Joe Biden went wrong back in 1991 when he handled Clarence Thomas's uh, confirmation hearing, how it is critical for him to nominate a truly progressive black woman to the court, and that nominating a truly progressive black woman to the court, I believe, is the only way way to make things right. Joe Biden has had an interesting relationship to blackness, right? Like if you talk Mm -hmm. about Joe Biden or a lot of people would be like, oh, he's racist. And they will point to his sort of hobnobbing with Strom Thurmond in the in the early 80s. Right. Which Mm -hmm. fair enough. Yeah, I mean, it's like seriously fair (laughs) enough. But as he progressed in his career and by the time we get to about 2007, when a young upstart named Barack Obama was throwing his hat into the ring. Right. Then we get Barack Obama choosing Joe Biden to be his, basically his hype man, his vice president. And Joe Biden, this sort of fixture, this establishment fixture of Democrats became beloved Uncle Joe, right? He sort of rose above his status as this politician and became this sort of like, I don't know, like when you go to a hip hop concert and there's something like the main guy is out there rapping and there's a dude in the back who I like to call the yeah shit yeah guy. <laughs> like Joe Biden became Barack Obama's yeah shit yeah guy, right? And so I just, I don't know. What do you think about that? I mean, I, I love hearing you talk about the relationship uh, and sort of the role that Joe Biden has played in the black community because it's an insight that I just don't have, right? Yeah. Like, he's a totally different politician in my circles, you know? And so, and yeah, when I think of the Obama years, he really did become Uncle Joe in that way. Mm-hmm. But when I look at the other potential vice presidential contenders, 
I can't honestly think of anybody who would have so faithfully hyped a black president the way Joe Biden did. Like Absolutely. I, I honestly, and that's a, that is an indictment on whiteness. Like, I don't know what white politician would have truly gotten out of their own way the same way that Biden did. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you can think about, I wrote a piece about this this week, you know, and I think about watching House of Cards or mm-hmm. watching Veep. And you can, they're always jockeying for power. And, you know, the vice president is always feeling like, oh, I don't have enough to do, at least in t- TV shows, you know, yeah. West Wing, that thing. They they don't have enough to do. They're just sort of like a puppet and a prop. But Joe Biden didn't do that. And so by becoming Obama's sort of yeah, shit, yeah guy, it made, at least the black people that I talked to, it made us reconsider the hand that he had, the very heavy hand that he had when it comes to mass incarceration of black people throughout the 90s, right? Like that was, that is a huge albatross around this man's neck. And the way that he backed up Obama sort of loosened that albatross from around his neck a little bit, right? Because as you said, it is very rare to find a white man who's willing to play fiddle, play second fiddle to a black man, right? And black people grew to love Biden during the Obama era, because he was Uncle Joe. And yeah. because he was, he, like you said, he was not getting in Obama's way. He was getting out of his own way. And so then, you know, it's just, it's really interesting to think about that trajectory for Joe Biden himself. So you're saying, you know, he's the first vice president to the first black president. All right. So, right. and actually like a supportive one, not, you know, some sort of undercutty, like sideways guy. Right. Right. And then he's the president to the first black woman vice president. Right. So really is pipelining power. Right. I'm talking about scaffolding power all the time. Yes. Now. And like that. That is, you know, Joe Joe Biden there is building that scaffold. And so as president, he's now slated to be the first president to appoint a black woman to the Supreme Court. That is quite a place. I mean, that is that is momentous. I mean, I think the fact that he's pledged that he was going to do it probably a year ago, we were all sort of like, yeah, yeah, Joe Biden's nominated a black lady. But I think we need to hold space for how momentous that actually is. And I think that's a really solid legacy for Joe Biden to leave behind, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I don't think, uh, great, he passed this infrastructure bill, love me some infrastructure, but that's not really going to be the sort of thing that someone looks at 50 years from now and says, oh yeah, Joe Biden was great. They're going to look at him and say, Joe Biden was great because of first black woman SCOTUS, first black woman vice president, second, you know, hype man to the first black POTUS. And so, the one thing that I think will always tarnish Biden when it comes to the black community is the fact that he's the reason that we got Clarence Thomas. He's the reason. You might say, oh, no, well, he, he wasn't nominated by Biden wasn't president. He wouldn't. No, he was head of the Senate Judiciary Committee. He's the reason. If he had done his job. It is likely that Thomas's harassing behavior and his proclivity for watching porn and then talking to his co-workers about it, that would have all come out, right? Like, if you want to love porn, I'm not porn shaming. You want to love porn, love porn. There's a lot of great porn out there. There's a lot of ethically produced porn out there. But whatever porn you are watching, please do not go to work and talk about it with the women you work with, right? And so Steve Kornacki, who is beloved on MSNBC for Wait, the khaki pants. Khaki Kornacki? <laughs> khaki Kornacki, yes. Back when Khaki Kornacki was writing for Salon.com, 
12 years ago, he published this really important piece about the Thomas confirmation hearings where he says that Clarence Thomas, based on the evidence that came out during that time period and evidence that came out subsequently, it is clear to him that Clarence Thomas did everything that he was accused of. And it is clear that everyone, not just society, but like Joe Biden specifically needs to acknowledge that. Yeah, I don't have an argument there. I feel like <laughs> I feel like most folks with common sense have acknowledged it. And really, at this point, it's Biden who needs to acknowledge it. And, you know, he might. Right. So like he offered up this milk toast apology to Anita Hill during the primary. Do you remember that? Oh, like, my God. Yeah. Yeah. It was like it was more like it was like, sorry, shrug. <laughs> you know, I mean, that was a ba- basically the, the, like, the gist of it. Different times, I guess, you know, um, you know, and and I think you're right. Like that wasn't enough. And I mean, look, Anita Hill even said as much. She told the New York Times in an op-ed the way that Biden handled the Thomas hearings paved the way for the shit show that was the Kavanaugh hearing. So I think, you know, tough but fair, Imani, to be, you know, talking about Biden's legacy in this nuanced way. Right. Absolutely. So now let's go back to October 1991. We're going to talk about two women whose names should be household names like Anita Hills is. These women's names are not household names. And that's Joe Biden's fault. Angela Wright and Lillian McEwen. New characters. We're we're introducing new characters in the final season of America. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That got dark immediately. Angela Wright is a woman who worked as the director of public affairs with Thomas while he was at the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, right? Okay. And during that time period, uh, he harassed the hell out of her. At one point, he even asked her what her bra size was. Hmm. Relevant to work that the EEOC is doing on the reg. (laughs) Very, very relevant. And so investigators with the Senate Judiciary Committee came upon some article that she'd written about these allegations and called her up and said, yo, Angela, we'd like to talk to you about Clarence Thomas. This bro's like in Senate right now. We're trying to confirm him. Let's chat. Angela's like, all right, cool. Sounds good. So they talk to her. They interview her. She talks about Thomas's proclivities for porn, about how... He was harassing her, how he asked her the bra size. And the investigators were like, wow, that's kind of fucked up. We're going to go tell our man Joe and maybe that the committee will subpoena this woman. So they did. They subpoenaed Angela Wright. She met with attorneys. She went to D.C. She was sitting in a hotel room in D.C. watching Anita Hill testify about these things. And then they didn't call her. What? They never called her. Why not? Because they thought that she had some credibility issues. Oh, give me a break. Right. Credibility issues. Give me a break. All right. So let me, let me, let me, let me stop there for a moment. Let me start talking about Lillian McEwen. Okay. Because this, this is where, this is really going to kind of maybe set your eyebrows on fire. Lillian McEwen in 2010 was interviewed um, uh, by the Washington Post. Okay. In the interview, she specifically said that she had dated with, she had dated him in the 80s, right? They had this very serious relationship and that Clarence Thomas had a real proclivity for porn, uh-huh. would talk about porn with her, and would talk about porn with his coworkers if there was something worth noting. If there Wait, was something me? worth <laughs> noting. Which, like, what? I don't know what that means. Like, what, what kind of porn are you watching where you feel like there's something worth noting that you have to talk to your coworkers about? I particularly liked the set design. <laughs> <laughs> I really like the shaving work around the testicles. It was really quite exciting. 
The so, lighting was very avant-garde. <laughs> very avant-garde. So what happens is, as Lillian McEwen says in 2010, that at one point, Clarence Thomas came home and said, oh, that there was a woman at work who had spectacular breasts and that he had <laughs> asked God. her what her bra size was. Oh now, if God. you recall, I just told you that Angela Wright testified to these committee <laughs> investigators that Clarence Thomas had asked her what her bra size was. So imagine if Angela Wright and Lillian McEwen had both testified at these confirmation hearings, they would have been able to back up Anita Hill's story. Ah! Right? Ah! <laughs> I'm losing my mind here. Like, truly. I mean, you know, Lillian could have backed up Angela's story and they both would have backed up Anita Hill's story. Yeah. And and it gets even worse because oh, during no, the confirmation... Stop it. No, it does. It does. During his confirmation hearings, Thomas made this remark where he said, and I quote, if I use that kind of grotesque language with one person, it would seem to me that there would be traces of it throughout the employees who worked closely with me or the other individuals who heard the bits and pieces of it or various levels of it. Nope, nope, nope. But Amati, no. Yeah. (laughs) These women were the traces of it. Yeah. Justice Thomas. Yeah. So again... Here we are. And I mean, I know we're sort of doing the postmortem, but why weren't they called to testify again? Basically because Biden was a ding dong. Right. I mean, he just (sighs) he made this rule that when it came to the confirmation hearings, he was only going to call people who had a professional relationship with Clarence Thomas. So that meant Anita Hill. That meant Angela Wright. It didn't mean Lillian McEwen, who only dated him. But Lillian McEwen was the person who could have drawn the connection between his proclivity for porn and his love of women with large breasts and the fact that he expressly told her that he had harassed someone at work, perhaps Angela Wright, by asking her what her bra size was. I mean, this is what lawyers do when they make cases. Biden should have known better. Yeah, I mean... That's it's it's stunning. And again, I'm just going back to this whole decision on a lack of credibility. What does that even mean? Were her boobs too big? Like, truly, was that the credibility? Like the only narrative through line that we have so far are boobs. There was some concern that she might have used a slur at some point in her in speaking with a colleague. You know, I mean, these are the sorts of things like, yes, you don't use slurs, right? right. You shouldn't. You lob ad hominem attacks at people. But these are things that black, these are sort of behaviors that, that can sideline black women in ways that they don't sideline white men, right? Like that's just, the fact that you're not going to call this woman to testify before this august body, right? The Senate, yeah. who presumably are intelligent enough to determine whether or not a particular person is credible. You don't just take them off the table so you can rush through a confirmation of a man who has credibly alleged to have sexually harassed many of his co-workers yeah they were just scared of a fight they didn't want to go yeah yeah like, and, it, and it bothers me because it's not just that biden had a hand in getting clarence thomas on the bench or in my view is responsible for getting clarence thomas on the bench it's that clarence thomas is bad for black people yeah he's bad for black women Right. There has never been a constitutional provision or a statutory interpretation that he did not read to harm black Americans Mm -hmm. in a way. I mean, if black people like it, Clarence Thomas doesn't. If it's something that's going to benefit people of color or women or LGBTQ people or anyone who doesn't adhere to Christian religion, Clarence Thomas is against it. 
Yeah. Well, and I think, too, it's just, you know, it's good to revisit this history because it goes back to just the absolute, it just really calls all of the nonsense that we're going to see around a black woman nominee because, you know, Justice Clarence Thomas was filling the quote unquote black seat, right? Like it used to be that we were thinking of literally one seat for black Americans on the bench. And that was the Thurgood Marshall seat. And then it was the Clarence Thomas seat. So even in Bush's nominating Thomas at the time, there was shenanigans around racial politics in, you know, in all of this. And so we will see that come back, I think, in this and then, I mean, if Joe Biden is the reason we got Clarence Thomas on the bench, then he's also the reason we have Ginny Thomas oh functionally God. on the bench as well, right? Like, that woman is cracked, and there's so much reporting on the influence that she has and the politicking that she's doing from the January 6th coup attempt to, like, you know, getting buses to, like, her work with the Heritage Foundation. It's all just messy and bad. Yeah, it is. It, it is extremely messy and extremely bad. And, and it's why we really need a counterweight, I believe, to, mm-hmm. to Clarence Thomas. And frankly, I don't think that counterweight can be a centrist candidate like J. Michelle Childs, right? We talked in the beginning about her being anti-worker, about her being opposed to, you know, helping out incarcerated people. And as someone who came from big law, I do think it is slightly unfair to saddle someone's prior career around their neck. However, I don't think it's unfair to look at their record as a jurist and to make some sort of... uh, you know, deductions based on that. And I also don't think it's fair to look at the people who are propping her up because it seems to me that Joe Biden is going to fall into some, uh, this bipartisan trap, right? This idea that only Democrats are required to adhere to bipartisanship principles and Republicans are just permitted to, to spit in Democrats' faces. And given the fact that this black woman is going to be Sonia Sotomayor's best friend, essentially, and mm-hmm. that we need a black woman who not just can speak to the black experience writ large, whatever monolithic experience that white people tend to think we have, but can really drill down into the oppression and the repression and the neo-fascism and the return to Jim Crow that is on the horizon. It's just, it frightens me if we don't get someone who is going to ride that hard for black people and for rights. And also, why give the Republicans any opportunity to claim they aren't racist? Like, you legitimately (laughs) are giving them the opportunity to make a claim, which we all know is bad faith, which we all know is not backed up by the evidence. But it doesn't matter. What they're going to do is say, I supported the black lady candidate. What do you want from me? Oh, my God. That's such a good point. I hadn't even thought of that point. That's such a good point. That's like, oh, they'll be insufferable. It will. Like Ted Cruz is never going to no. be a racist again. Josh Hawley is a oh, friend to no. the black people, no. Amani. <laughs> like you take that back right now. Oh, Jesus. So I but truly like that's the one thing where I keep coming back to is like, why? Why even give them this opportunity? You're like voluntarily taking the L on that one yeah. by doing that. All right. So. Let me ask you straight up, who do you think on this shortlist, who do you think it should be then? If you, if you, For all of the very valid reasons why you have concerns about Childs, who would you like to see then? 
See, I know what you're going to say, and I don't want to say what no. you're going to say. Because we can you be in agreement or disagreement. Because originally I was thinking uh, Jackson, but then yeah. you you sort of were, t- we were talking about this offline or off off pod. As we are ma- want to do. <laughs> as we are want to do. And you were making the case for Kruger. I love Kruger. And, and I started reading a little bit more about Kruger and the way that she operates in the California Supreme Court. She's 45. She's young. She's, she's young. younger than me. <laughs> She's younger than you. And also, she's Jewish. She's right? She's a black Jew. Could you imagine? If Amadi Gandhi is not on the bench. And it needs to be another black Jew, damn it. I would be happy with either Jackson or Kruger, but I really do. I, I, I like Kruger after you sort of yeah. gave me a little... little poking the ribs like hey check out Kruger hey girl I mean truly I, I I would be happy with either one of them I like the idea of elevating Kruger from a state supreme court bench mm-hmm. too I feel like it gives a little bit of an extra nod to Kamala Harris also who True. has said she wants to be involved in this process and Kruger has a great reputation as a jurist and also you know as a consensus builder who doesn't sacrifice her own principles in doing that. And that, I think, gets to the point that your concerns about with Childs is like, well, yeah, sure, people can build consensus, but at what cost? Um, And, you know... um, I just thought of something. Oh, yeah? Okay, so we Kruger wrote a... Uh, filed a brief in the Hosanna Tabor case, right? The Hosanna oh, Tabor case. Talk about this case. I love this. Case. Okay, so the Hosanna Tabor case is about something called a ministerial exception, right? Yeah. The ministerial exception essentially says, and I may get this wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. Essentially says that churches can conduct its own business, right? If churches yeah. want to hire and fire employees based on their based on the fact that they don't adhere to the particular religion, then they're able to do that, right? Like if yeah, you're a Catholic basically church, churches get to run their business right. without the government and civil rights laws getting too mucked up in the business right and Kruger was part of a team that filed a brief that was basically like no (laughs) that was the entirety of the brief (laughs) yeah she filed a brief that said no she said essentially (laughs) that I think um the the church had fired someone with who had a disability right and they they claimed that that the person was a minister and I think that she wanted to claim that they weren't a minister for 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 purposes of this particular exception, because you shouldn't be able to discriminate against people and then ground it in religion. Yeah. Okay. I mean, she saw the writing on the wall with right. that. She saw right? the writing on the wall because we see these religious exemptions are starting to swamp everything. So mm-hmm. let's think about what's going to go down in the confirmation hearing. Oh, do I get to play Amy Coney Barrett? Well, no, we she's know, not in the hearing. <laughs> we know that what that any black woman sitting in that in the hot seat is going to be grilled. The misogynoir is going to be just flowing yeah. like a river. But if we have a woman who's black and Jewish and one of the main sort of selling points for, I guess, Democrats, but one of the main detractions for Republicans is her views on religion, we're going to get a really interesting, we could get a really interesting confirmation hearing that sort of that sort of talks about blackness and Jewishness with respect to religion like in a grander constitutional context. I love this. Like the idea of like yanking out as the default objective frame white evangelical Christianity when we're talking about religious issues of religious objection and faith, that could get sexy. Right? I think, and I I mean, I'm going to be covering these confirmation hearings if we get a black Jew in the hot seat, we start talking about black Jewish shit. I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> it's going to be fantastic. 
fantastic. I love it. I love this for you. I love this for America. <laughs> I love this for America. You know what else I love? What? Ending the show on a good note. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, if you want to talk about any of this exciting stuff, if you want to, if, if you're a black Jew out there, you better hit, you better slide into my DMs because I want to talk to you. <laughs> Lenny Kravitz, I'm talking to you, my man. <laughs> but if you want to talk about any of this stuff, I'm at Angry Black Lady on Twitter. Jess is Hegemommy, H-E-G-E-M-O-M-M-Y. You should follow Rewire News Group on Twitter, on Instagram crushing it our social team is crushing it our graphics Truly. team is crushing it and the fallout i would be remiss if it if i did not mention jess's amazing newsletter rewirenewsgroup.com slash fallout please subscribe you don't want to miss her in your in your inbox it's like you get to take a little melon scooper and crack open her skull <laughs> scoop some of her brains out and just put it in your inbox who doesn't want that in their life but not in an army hammer kind of way <laughs> Definitely not. Please don't eat her brains. We need them. All right, Jess, what are we going to do? We're going to see you on the tubes, folks. We will see you on the tubes. Boom Lawyered is created and hosted by Jessica Mason Piclo and Imani Gandhi. Mark Filetti produces the show. 